Okay, good morning. It's uh, time for us to begin our, our Bible class here. Uh, we, of course, have been studying the book of Esther, and we will be in Esther chapter 5 this morning. I know we're a little bit behind schedule, so uh, we might have to rush to uh, get through all of these verses here uh, in Esther chapter 5. But just, uh, again, a way of review to catch us up where we were last week. Of course, uh, you know, we've, we've been learning these different individuals in this story. Of course, uh, Mordecai and Esther and Haman and uh, King Ahasuerus. And, of course, uh, you know, Haman's sort of the, the villain, the bad guy of this uh, account. And we, were, we were recall that last week he issues this decree uh, that concerning pretty much the, you know, the, the entire uh, world, uh, because that's the Persians at that time are, um, you know, they're in control. And uh, he issues this decree to annihilate, destroy, kill all of the Jewish people. And of course, he does this because of uh, Mordecai and Mordecai not willing to uh, bow down to him, to pay homage to him. And so Mordecai, we recall last week, he's in great distress. He's uh, out in the city streets crying, wailing. Uh, he's wearing the sackcloth, and, and of course, and so Esther, she attempts to comfort him, and uh, he explains to her his sorrow, and, uh, you know, and that you know, she needs to intercede. Right? He, he gives her that, that pep talk, if you will, uh, that, you know, listen, you, are, you were put in this place for a reason. Right? There's a reason why you are the queen of the, the Persian Empire, uh, you're here uh, providentially. You know, God's put you here. It's time for you to act. Uh, you're, you're our best shot of going to the king and interceding on behalf of the Jewish people. Now you've got to you know, let everybody know who you are right, and intercede. And so that, that's where we were last week. Um, and so, you know, we've noticed a lot of things about Esther. Uh, she is somebody who has gained the approval of pretty much like everyone that she's come into contact with. Uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22 says, uh, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Right? We don't get that with Esther, do we? Esther is somebody who does not lack discretion. Of course, we, we've already been told multiple times in, in the scriptures about her beauty. Right? Uh, again, that's why she's in this position. Uh, be, that's why the king chose her. But she is not without discretion. Uh, she's going to exhibit great judgment. We're going to see in this chapter that she is uh, a calculated individual, that she has a plan. Uh, she just didn't, you know, that she just didn't uh, jump in and, uh, you know, go head out headlong. But she's got a plan uh, in order to save the people. And uh, last week we saw that began with what? The, the, the three days of what? What did she come? What did she ask the people pray. do? Pray. Yeah, pray, pray, fasting for those three days to prepare their minds spiritually uh, for her as she's going to go before the king. And again, she doesn't just rush right to the throne and demand the king to you know overturn this decree. But she is going to um, she's going to get the people ready, get them prepared. And uh, again, we're going to notice. Um, this plan that she's got laid out, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7 says there's a time to speak, there's a time to be silent. And we're going to notice that in this chapter. And um, so 
Uh, let's just jump right in, again, for the sake of time. Esther chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. And so Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about courage uh, at this point. Uh, you know, Esther is being very courageous, isn't she? Uh, you know, as we talked in last week's class, you know, there was a law that stated that if you went to the king, right, if you went to the, the, before the king unannounced, you know, you were to be put to death. You weren't to do that. But the, the, the way out of that was as if he extended something to you and allowed you to live, right? And so, uh, so she approaches the throne, of course, uh, after those three days. Right after she requests those three days of fasting, the people do that. She and her uh, maids do that as well, and now she goes to the king. She's being courageous, and uh, it, this is dangerous. And she approaches the throne. Um, she prepares herself spiritually again with fasting, and she's preparing herself physically as well. Right in verse one, there we notice she puts on the royal robes as she comes uh, before the king, and. Again, it's, it's so difficult, right, to imagine what she is going through at this time. Uh, life and death situation. Uh, she doesn't know how the king's going to react, does she? And uh, it's probably um, a, pretty tense, <laughs> a pretty tense time. But um, what does the king do? Yep, he, he extends the scepter to her, right? And so, uh, although she hasn't seen him in over 30 days, um, he find, or she finds favor in his sight. Again, this is sort of that reoccurring theme that we've seen throughout this book uh, about Esther. And uh, she extend, or he extends the scepter to her. And, uh, and so she is going to gain his acceptance, right? She's not going to be put to death. And... Um, and again, this, this, is, this is Esther acting uh, in such a way that, um, again, she's approaching the king without invitation, but yet she's still honoring his authority, right? She's still, uh, she's using a lot of discretion a- at this time. And so, um, you know, her courage, right? This is worthy for us to note. Uh, we might want to uh, mention this for, for a moment because, you know, again, she's aware of all the dangers of going before the king, um, she, but she's not putting off what's necessary to do, right? Uh, there, there's, their lives are on the line. The, the Jewish people's lives are on the line. And she is going to go and do what needs to be done. And, you know, let's, let's ask the question to ourselves, right? As Christians, uh, are there times that we need similar courage? Are there times when we need to be like Esther, and understand that you know time is of the essence, and that we need to um, we need to put ourselves out there and do something. Got some heads nodding, yeah. Uh, what are some things that the Christian 
uh, ought to be courageous about? All right, so sharing the gospel. All right, souls are at stake. Yeah, that's obviously, that, that's a great one. Um, one of the passages I was thinking was uh, Jude, verse 3, that um, Jude writes, uh, contend earnestly for the faith, right, which was once for all handed down. Um, there are times when, you know, somebody might be speaking against the church. It might be... Um, railing against the church or even our Lord and Savior? And should we be quiet about that and just let them continue on? Or should we maybe be a little courageous and speak up? Uh, there, there are times that we ought to be, to remember Esther in those situations, right? And, and be people that are courageous, uh, just like she was, right? Speak up for the truth. Uh, as Danny pointed out, evangelism. Right? And understand that, you know, remember last week uh, we, we talked about that verse where Mordecai uh, said basically that, uh, you know, listen, Esther, if, uh, if you don't do it, then somebody else is going to, right? That, that if you don't stand up, if you don't go to the king, uh, God's going to find somebody else uh, to do that, right? And it was really a faith-building verse because he was, again, saying that, you know, no matter what happens, God's still going to save his people. But uh, think of in the New Testament. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, what a verse to remember, right? Yeah, Brother Eddie? I'm going to say Absolutely, that, that's part of being courageous, right? Uh, is uh, stepping up and you know speaking uh, to those that uh, that we know that they need our encouragement. So yeah, great. That's another great point. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? If we can just keep that in the back of our minds at all times, I think we can be courageous people. Uh, that, that we can be like Esther and step out of our comfort zones. Uh, because no matter what happens in this life, no matter if we get rejected, no matter if someone you know, persecutes us, uh, God is with us. And we should always uh, remember that. And so, again, Esther, she goes before the king. She doesn't know what's going to happen. Uh, but fortunately for her, uh, the king extends the scepter 
And so uh, she is going to now, now she's going to make her request. So let's look at verse uh, 3 through 8. So um, Esther chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Then the king said to her, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Esther said, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. And as they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. So Esther replied, my petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and to do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Okay, so obviously the king here, uh, you know, for Esther to come to him in that dangerous situation, that's piqued his interest, uh, of course, and so he's got some questions, doesn't he? You know, uh, what is it that you need, Esther? Why are you here? Uh, what's so important that you're risking, you know, death to come in to see me, right? And so uh, certainly he, he wants to know. And what did, what did the king there promise to give Esther? Yeah, half the kingdom. Now, I guess, you know, we could debate as to if, you know, that, if, that's, if he's being literal in saying that or if this is just a, sort of a, um, a, a metaphor or, you know, a hyperbole. A statement um, in the ancient world, because you remember uh, in the New Testament uh, that was said of you know that story of John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist is in prison, and Herod um, is throwing that party. It's his birthday. You remember, and so and then uh, uh, the daughter of Herodias comes in and, and dances, and it pleased Herod, and he says to her, you know, I'll give you to half the kingdom, you know, and she. She doesn't accept that, but she says, you know, bring me John the Baptist's head on a, on a platter, right? So um, the king's probably not offering her half of the kingdom, uh, but, you know, he's willing to, again, uh, you know, do what she wants, right? She, she's got his attention. And, um, but what does the queen request here in verses 4 through 6? What's the first thing she requests? Verse 4, I guess. Yeah, she wants Haman, right? She wants Haman at this banquet. Now, this is interesting, of course, because uh, she knows uh, what Haman's planning to do with her people. And, you know, again, we could speculate as to why she wants Haman there. You know, maybe it's to set a trap for him. Uh, maybe uh, it's because she wants him there when she accuses him uh, before the king. Uh, maybe she doesn't want give him a chance to plan out his escape or something to that nature. But the king grants that wish, right? Uh, uh, without, uh, without reservation, he invites Haman here to, the, to this banquet. And uh, now the king again there says in verse 6, Okay, Esther, you know, why? Why do you really uh, want to... Um, why did you come before me? You know, why do you want Haman here? And then she says there in verses uh, 7 and 8, basically, uh, he, listen, 
uh, I'm going to prepare another banquet. This banquet's going to be tomorrow. And uh, I want you to come. I want Haman to come. And then I will uh, let you know. Right? Then, then I will tell you uh, my request. Um, maybe the time's not right. You know, maybe in her mind it's not right to react. But she, again, she puts, she puts that out there. Um, there's going to be another banquet tomorrow. And I'll let you know tomorrow. Uh, what my request is. And so, um, you know, we, we talked about uh, Esther sort of being somebody of discretion. Um, how, how do you see Esther at this point? I mean, what, what's sort of a word that you might describe her by? Terrified? Okay. Okay. Okay, so she's bold. She's doing a lot of planning, right? She's, uh, she, she seems to have some plans in the work. Maybe we could uh, label her as prudent, um, you know, even shrewd. Uh, sometimes we use the word shrewd and we use it in a negative sense, but is shrewd always a negative thing? No, didn't Jesus uh, tell... His uh, disciples to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Right? There are times where you know we've got to get our minds working. Right? We we might again we might talk about you know um, well I guess in that context in Matthew chapter ten uh, you know Jesus was preparing them to go out and evangelize right and he was telling them be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves right. Uh, you know, plan what you're going to do, uh, but also, you know, make sure you do it in a loving way, I guess is the best way to describe it. And so, you know, we see this of, uh, of Esther here, right? She is, uh, she's being, I guess, if you want to use that term, she's being shrewd. Uh, she's, she's being prudent. Uh, she's got a plan in action. Um, you know, this is something that, of course, we can learn from. Uh, she's got... Uh, Obviously, she's got truth on her side, but she's not right then and there, you know, using it to, you know, hammer down on the king, right? Uh, she's going to play this out. She's going to set, you know, Haman up to be uh, the bad guy that he is. And, uh, and we, could, we could learn a lot from that, right? Um, if she would have came to the king and said... You know, in sort of a forceful tone, uh, you know, Haman is going to annihilate my people. You need to do something about it. You know, how do you think the king's going to react to that? Uh, we already know what he did to Queen Vashti, right? He uh, stripped her of her crown, you know. And so, again, may, uh, maybe this is why Esther is reacting this way. Maybe this is why she's kind of taking step by step to prepare uh, the king uh, because she knows uh, how he might react. And so she's using caution, right? She's being prudent, sort of like uh, the, the, uh, the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus gives there, uh, the five who were not prudent and the five who were prudent, right? They came prepared. They were ready to uh, act whenever uh, the bridegroom came, right? And so again, there, there's another lesson for us. Uh, that, that, that Esther is displaying in her life of being someone who's prudent, someone who is 
Um, again, planning things out, not acting, overreacting. And so let's, uh, let's look at the last few verses here with our time remaining. Uh, verses 9 through 14. Then Haman went out that day, glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh. And then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. And Haman also said, even Esther the queen let no one but me come to the king, king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Okay, so we understand that there's these banquets. Uh, it's just not Esther and the, queen, er, and the king, but it's Esther, the king, and Haman. And uh, he leaves that first banquet, we're told. Uh, he's on a high, isn't he? he he's joyful. He's, uh, uh, he's glad of heart. And again, this is a huge deal. This is a big deal to him because nobody in the kingdom is going to this banquet but him. Right? It's just the three of them. And you can kind of, you know, kind of imagine his, his pride bubble, right? Just getting bigger and bigger, and it's about ready to burst. Um, why does Haman's mood change uh, all of a sudden? What did we just read? Why, why did his mood just change? From being on top of the world to angry again. Yeah, there's Mordecai again. And, uh, you know, what's different between Mordecai in the last chapter than in this chapter? Well, uh, uh, obviously, he, he's probably not wearing the sackcloth uh, anymore because he's back at the king's gate. Right? And so Mordecai is back at the king's gate, but is Mordecai bowing down? Has he changed at all? No, he, he's, still, he's still not doing that. And when Haman sees that, Right? He is furious. He is upset once again. But it's kind of interesting to, to notice here that it says there in verse 10 that rather than reacting to this, he went to his house, or he controlled himself, and then he went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife. Why did he do this? It's not specifically stated, uh, but... You know, you know, again, you know, maybe Haman, you know, you kind of see a game of checkers going on, don't we? Or not checkers, but chess, right? Uh, the, the, between Esther and Esther and Mordecai and Haman, right? They kind of seem to be, uh, each one is making a move uh, closer and closer uh, to their ultimate uh, goals, right? And uh, Haman doesn't react. Uh, he doesn't burst out. 
uh, at Mordecai. He doesn't have Mordecai thrown in prison or anything like that, but he simply controls himself and goes home. He gathers his wife and friends. Um, apparently, he, his, his bubble you know, is, is so big that he's, uh, in verses 11 and 12, it says what? That he's, he's recounting to them all his glories, uh, the number of sons he has, every instance where the kings magnified him. Um, and even, uh, you know, the big news, right? That, that, the, that the queen has invited me to these banquets. I'm the only one in the kingdom going to this. Uh, you know, I'm a popular guy. And again, these, all of this thing that's pointing to his, his pridefulness. And, you know, and obviously we know in the next chapter uh, what's going to happen when we study that next week. But um, despite all these things... Um, Haman reveals something pretty telling about his character, doesn't he? There in verses 13 and 14. Um, again, look at verse 13. All of these things, you know, yet all of these things, all of my accolades, all of my popularity, all of these things does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. I, he's so bitter. He's so upset at Mordecai that even his greatness, um, he can't enjoy talking about it anymore. And so what does his wife and his friends propose to do that he do? Is it to go seek counseling? Is it to go talk to Mordecai and maybe work things out uh, or to ignore it altogether? No, right? Uh, so uh, build these gallows, right? Have him executed on that. Um, this is very interesting, uh, a point, but we're told that these gallows were 50 cubits high. Uh, do you remember how big a cubit was, one cubit? Yeah, 18 inches, right? And the easiest way to remember is you know, sort of from your elbow to your finger. And so... Uh, 18 inches, a foot and a half. And so how tall is this, these gallows they're proposing to build? Yeah, 75 feet, right? 50 cubits times uh, 18 inches, uh, 75 feet. So, you know, I guess 10 foot would do the trick, right? But they're telling him to build 75 foot gallows. Now, I think when you and I think of uh, the term gallows, we probably think of the Old West, don't we, of... Uh, sort of, you know, having the rope and the noose and kind of, you know, choking the person to death. But um, probably what they're more talking about is just a, a, a pole right? or a long wooden pole uh, that they're going to impale somebody on. But the point is clear. I mean, what's the point of making this 75 feet tall? Yeah, it's going to be seen from quite a distance, isn't it? It's going to be a statement. And it, in the text that we just read, it doesn't specifically say that he built a gallows 75 feet tall, but that's what they are going to recommend that he, he does. And so we'll, we'll, we'll notice later uh, what all this does. But again, just the idea here of letting someone control your emotions. Um, should we let others dictate how we feel? No, but do we let that happen sometimes? We dwell on an individual, maybe, and we, we see this with Haman, right? He is so mad at Mordecai. 
so furious, so frustrated with Mordecai that he doesn't just want Mordecai to pay, but he wants Mordecai and his nation, uh, his race of people to pay. And we ought not to be like that, uh, to be people like that. Um, and so we can't let others dictate our source of happiness. Right? We, we can't, um, we just can't succumb to that. It's going to eat us away. And, and we see that here exactly with Haman. So um, I'm glad we got through chapter 5. Uh, chapter 6, of course, is going to be um, uh, you know, very interesting next week as we see uh, some things that are going to go on. But uh, appreciate everyone's uh, participation this morning. I didn't hear the first bell, but I think we are about time. Uh, I think. And so, uh, Brother Danny, you got our closing prayer for us?